Humane, our conference on how AI is changing the marketing world, is back on May the 28th. Go to humane.au to find out more. Start the week with Unmade. Setting the agenda for the week in media and marketing. Today, Harold Mitchell, the man who dominated the media agency landscape for decades, dies. A new newspaper takes shape. And the latest AI developments marketers need to know about. Unmade. It's Monday, February 12, 2024. I'm Abe Beauty, and good morning, Tim Burrows. Good morning, Abe. I've started with a very, very bad decision already. Um, as you, you might know, this time last week, I had COVID, although I didn't know it. I pretty much did my test as soon as I finished recording the podcast. Anyway, today's bad decision, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much better. You know, I'm testing negative. Um, so I, I, I took one of those anaesthetic lozenges, having just made myself a cup of coffee. And I can confirm there's nothing that tastes worse than a cup of coffee after you've just numbed your tongue. So um, It's that cold Arctic blast in your mouth, isn't it, Tim? <laughs> it is. It's a combination I don't, uh, don't recommend. Anyway, how was your weekend? Great weekend. Actually, uh, yesterday we met with probably half of our staff and had a Sunday barbecue with some of the team, which was great and just great for building culture and camaraderie and really connection so yes it was bonding over food was a was a good weekend but we must say good morning to Kat McGinn for the first time this year Kat you'll be joining us every fortnight to talk about what's new for AI in the marketing world Good morning. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty exciting. We're in the run up to our next humane AI conference and um really deep in the weeds with it in the planning stages at the moment but I think it's going to be a good one. We're looking forward to hearing more about that and really to your insights in the world of AI, which is just changing and developing at breakneck speed. But up next, Valet Harold Mitchell. Unmade. I know dealing around the world, Australians are as good as anybody at anything. Our company is as good as anything as anyone in the world. That's not because of me, it's because we've got great Australians doing it. That was the voice of Harold Mitchell, one of the legends of the Australian media industry. News broke yesterday lunchtime that he'd passed away at the age of 81. Tim, he retired from the media agency world a a decade ago. For those who weren't in the industry back then, what was Harold Mitchell's influence on the media agency world? Massive. It honestly was. You know, when sometimes people sort of pass on and everybody talks up their contribution. That was not the case there for at least a couple of decades, although his career stretched a lot longer. Um, he really was media agencies. Um, now, Mitchell and Partners became certainly the biggest independent, but for a time, just the biggest media agency player. Um, so Harold Mitchell kind of came along at a time when what was still most common was big creative agencies to have media departments. And that was how media was bought around the world. Um, and here in Australia, just as the same thing was happening in the UK as well, Harold Mitchell kind of went independent. You know, this idea that uh, if you're an independent media agency, you could negotiate on behalf of all, all of your clients with uh, media companies and get a better price for the advertising they could get on their own um, whilst um, also sort of running a business. So 
he was right at the forefront of that. Um, now he he created himself a couple of fortunes along the way. Firstly, just by you know running running the business, which was initially out of Melbourne, but then became national, including being strong in Sydney as well. Um, he was fairly early into um, digital media when that was a thing, so um, floated what was then known as Emich on the ASX, um, and then rather cleverly did a used that vehicle as a sort of reverse takeover to take over Mitchell and Partners, um, which um, made him his first fortune. Um, then Mitchell and then Partners were then in turn bought by Aegis, um, which was then in turn bought by Dentsu. And that saw for a time um, Harold Mitchell globally, one of the biggest um, shareholders in that business. So, um, y- y- you know, he just had this huge footprint. He would have a, a weekly slot on 3AW. He used to have a column in the in in ad news. He had the ear of you know everyone up to prime ministers really because of his his influence. So um, yeah, there was uh, there wasn't really an aspect of media that he didn't touch when he was active. So he was he was really well connected and knew knew everyone knew the who's who. How, how well connected was he? Yeah, look. Um, not just with business people, but with the politicians and and kind of the Australian kind of wider establishment as well. So he was on a number of philanthropic boards. Um, you know, we've already had people like Bill Shorten paying tribute to him over the weekend. Um, one of his most famous relationships was with Kerry Packer, who was at the time the the owner of Nine. Um, you know, one of kind of the the infamous. Um, stories of Harold Mitchell, which is he told a number of times, was he invested in I think it was in Coffs Harbour, Harbour, but the big banana, um, and got himself into uh, terrible business trouble um, as a result. So ended up being bailed out with a, an interest-free loan from Kerry Packer, which saved his business, and you know meant that, that you know he always viewed that as a a, a huge favour that. Um, you know, he really kind of um, never forgot. Um, and I suppose that that connectivity is also um, the the other side of a kind of really well-connected media agency boss is conflict of interest is something you have to try to manage. Now, uh, one of the places where it went wrong for him was um, Tennis Australia, where he'd been a director of Tennis Australia, and um, after he retired from the media side of things, um, uh, a few years ago, ASIC prosecuted him and one or two other people who'd been involved in the board of Tennis Australia over their role in handling the um, uh, the TV rights. Um, there was the suggestion that he'd breached his director duties by being too close to seven. Um, and that was something which 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 which, I, which the judge found had indeed been the case. So is it true you've met you had you've met and interviewed him over the over the time? What sort of personality was he from your experience? Yeah, look, I this is a really difficult one. I've, you know, a lot of people texted and messaged yesterday as the news came in. You know, the the answer is not easy. You know, there's there's no one answer at what sort of person he was so for instance my you know my first few encounters with him i i you know i i I found kind of 
challenging, I suppose. Like I can remember the, the very first time I, I had not long been in the country and was the editor of B&T. I wrote a column about something he'd said on stage being wrong and disagreeing with him. Um, and I didn't really quite understand who he was or what his stature was at the time. So I kind of was invited into his boardroom to meet him. He was charming, but he was also a very egotistical. He was intelligent, but also there are plenty of people who'd say he was a bully. Um, he didn't drink, you know, so they, they, and, and he championed kind of sort of non, uh, you know, sort of charity sort of championing that. Um, so yeah, yeah, a very complicated person. Kat, you've worked in media agencies. For people who haven't, what do they do these days? Well, I think it's fair to say, firstly, that I worked in media agencies so long ago that the digital department was still a separate thing. So I think that's about a decade. Um, what they do is, is, is plan and buy media, and sometimes they can take a strategic lead on a client's account, so directing the kind of overall strategy for a business um, or for the advertising, certainly. I mean, what they also do is they have so much incredible rich data, which is really what gives them their the sort of firepower as a sector of our industry. And they've got the deals with the networks that often, you know, I think increasingly have smaller and smaller margins. So, I mean, I think Martin Sorrell last year talked about um, a quarter of a million jobs in media agencies going as a result of the impact of AI. And you can really see that that's a particular part of our industry that's going to really feel the squeeze, I think, as efficiencies come in through the use of AI tools and technologies. But there's so many smart people sitting in media that I think they will find a way to reinvent themselves and add value to clients. Next, a new newspaper for Australia. We've learned more about the new newspaper Seven West Media is planning. Tim, tell us more, please. Yeah, this was in the nine newspapers right at the end of last week. Um, so we had already known that um, Seven West Media, um, proprietor uh, Kerry Stokes, so their centre of gravity, I suppose, is Perth, um, has been planning this nightly newspaper. And this is a national publication, though, because they, they do already uh, own the West Australian out of Perth. So it's called The Nightly. Um, they've hired or poached a number of current and former News Corp staff, which is interesting because there is quite a close relationship usually between um, News Corp and Seven West Media. So it'd be interesting to know if that's caused any tensions. Now, one of the kind of interesting details is that although there'll be a website, you know, and everyone, you know, at the arrival of yet another news outlet isn't that exciting it will also be publishing a free newspaper each evening now it's worth stressing this is digital not in print although do you know i've got a funny little hunch that they might just at some point run one or two one-offs in print just to kind of create some pr or do it with an advertiser with a with a sponsor or something um but the uh the first uh, sponsor for the um or the first major sponsor for the publication is hancock prospecting which is owned by gina reinhardt who again is very close to um to kerry stokes 
Um, so the 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 the, the piece um, on Friday suggests that uh, this will be targeting a kind of mainstream middle, in particular readers of the Australian and the Australian Financial Review, um, and the pitch deck for advertisers, which I suspect might be where um, uh, um, the the journalist is Callum Jasper has, has got the story from. The pitch deck suggests that the focus will be on politics, policy business and culture so um so yeah it's um it's, it's it's another newspaper launch and i didn't think i'd ever say that again cat launching a newspaper even a digital one sounds a bit quaint doesn't it will, will it work well you know what they say when when others zig you zag i i guess i mean i i will talk more about this in a moment but i think when all the mastheads globally are seeing a massive decline in audience traffic, and, and I think that's about to be compounded, uh, it does seem like an, an odd move, but perhaps they're preaching to, to a very core audience that will like what they have to say. Tim, you mentioned uh, it was targeted at the mainstream middle. Are readers of the Fin Review really part of the mainstream middle? I mean, have they got their demographics and targeting right, do you think? Interesting question. Um, now, obviously, people who read the AFR, certainly in depth, tend to be paying subscribers, often with their company credit card. Now, it sounds like this is um, a free publication. Now, so that's one thing is if they can find some sort of business audience who are non-paying subscribers, but interested enough in business, then those are potentially the sort of advertisers who might be interested. But of course, you know, that's um, that's also a little bit more of a crowded market because we saw, and again, this is subscription-based, but Capital Brief uh, launch um, just a few months back now. So the, the, the fight for the business audience is a pretty tough one you know but but there again i suppose what the west australian has is is really strong coverage out of the perth newsroom and there is a lot of business news comes out of perth you know particularly in the kind of resource sector so that could be one of their secret weapons next what's happening in ai Let's turn to Kat and the developments that matter in AI. We'll be doing this every fortnight, but for this first conversation, let's cover off the big developments for the world of marketing so far in 2024. Uh, Kat's ignoring the chirping birds in the background. Let's start with the recent news from Google. What's going on? I'm so sorry for nature trying to impose on this very important conversation. Uh, so big news from Google is that they, they've dropped the Bard moniker for the uh, Google's chatbot, and it's rolled all of its AI solutions into the Gemini brand. Kat, you mentioned that, yes, it stopped being Bard and now it's Gemini now. I'm not sure I'd even made enough brain space for the fact that it was called Bard. I'd only just got there. Now it's Gemini. And I know there seem to be all sorts of different tiers of Gemini as well. I'm thoroughly confused. Um, Isn't this just really bad brand strategy from Google already? It does seem remarkable, doesn't it, for an organization with so many, you know, very smart and senior marketers to make so many missteps. But I think this is borne out by Google's, you know, um, move into the AI space in general, they've been beset by false starts overall. And I think this brand situation is no different. What else do we know about where they're going with Gemini and, and 
maybe what's planned, Kat? So it seems like this is a real opportunity for Google to close the gap. They've, I think it's fair to say they, that Microsoft OpenAI really have been leading the field. Gemini, the Google chatbot is also going to offer what's, what they're calling search generative experiences so that you'll be able to have AI generated search results or that is already starting to happen in your ordinary Google search. And I think what will happen is as search declines and people become more reliant on finding information from, from um, chatbots, this is a really nice play for Google to, to capture the audience and keep them. So moving them gradually from search into, into um, an AI bot. I've got a question, and it's probably for an SEO expert, but with the prevalent, with Google loving content to give sites ranking and credibility, how does AI and the prevalence of just content that can be created so easily, how does that affect their algorithms in terms of any content can be generated by anyone, whether it's good or not? Do you have a view or any knowledge on that at all, Kat? I mean, I think this is one of the major challenges we're facing as an industry, the the investment in content that brands have been making over a decade plus and and media organizations as well. So all of the content that's been created to date is now being used to train large language models. We haven't really got a clear view about what the remuneration structure is for, for how um, AI companies are going to compensate the content creators. There's a few, well, I mean, there's every five minutes, there's a new lawsuit happening. So most probably prominently, the New York Times is suing OpenAI for, for using its content without um, any financial compensation. But I think what we're going to increasingly see is that uh, there will be less and less reason for users to go to the destination website because they will be finding the results in AI-powered search. And, and what that does to the media ecosystem is really kind of TBC, and I think we should be we, we should be paying some pretty close attention to it. AI has been making headlines for more troubling reasons lately. What do Taylor Swift and a Victorian MP have in common? <laughs> so both Taylor Swift and uh, Victorian MP Georgie Purcell have been making headlines for um, being the victims of um, deep fake image. Uh, generation or specifically for Taylor she's uh, been the victim of image-based abuse so pornographic images that are made with AI have been circulating on the platform formerly known as Twitter Um, as you may expect Twitter's um, sorry X's safety um, and content moderation approach has been pretty lax so those images were proliferated like wildfire before the platform started to take them down. And then more recently, Georgie Purcell, who who's a, was in the headlines for political reasons, found that an image of herself had been doctored. There's been some controversy about whether or not that was an AI issue or a human issue. Um, and both Nine and Adobe have very clear points of view on it not being entirely their fault. Um, and I think this is just the start of it, really. We, I think we have to ex- accept that the, the provenance of images in an AI landscape is no longer to be trusted. And the various initiatives that have been set up, like the Content Provenance and Authenticity Initiative that has Adobe, Google, Messer are all involved, 
it's not really finding the best solution to this situation. It does seem easy when things go wrong for the humans to blame the bots. Really, it was AI's fault, which seems like a bit of a cop-out, to be honest. I think we have to remember that an AI doesn't have an agenda, although, of course, it does have, you know, whatever language model we're talking about will have been built on biased content. And so we should expect to find biased outputs as a result. What are some other big shifts you're seeing? I think the the major difference between uh, going into planning for last year's Humane Conference and this year is that we're we're having fewer conversations about killer robots from the future, which which I think is comforting, and we're moving really into this much more pragmatic kind of um, these these builds around how can we use client data to drive efficiencies, to drive performance in marketing activity. And it's not evenly distributed. So some organizations are streets ahead, while some agencies and clients are really still only beginning to to think about AI. But if we start to recognize that building on top of existing large language models like ChatGPT, Anthropic, is is those those off-the-shelf models are not the solution for advertisers, but using their data, their their first-party data, client data, to start making predictions to start saving money to to make sure that their advertising is really working as hard as possible that becomes a, a huge opportunity for the industry and those are the conversations that i'm having for for humane this year well that's it for today a jam-packed episode it was fantastic to hear from cat i'm looking forward to more ai import over the coming months we'd love to hear what you think though at letters at unmade.media that's letters at unmade.media don't forget if you want to support unmade and go behind our paywall you can become a paying member go to unmade.media to find out how and if you enjoyed this podcast please give us five stars on your podcast app it helps other people to find us Today's podcast was produced with the usually enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Toodle pip. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.